With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv, she who rants. Well, our little distraction last week with Hermes and his hilarity was fun while it lasted, but we need to get back to Aeneas and all the damage he's about to do. Oh, Aeneas. Truly a fascinating character, but less for his actual, you know, character, and more for how the Romans used him and this story to get the results they wanted. Augustus, Augustus, Augustus. I've ranted about this before, but frankly, it's all blurring together, so here I am again. When considering Aeneas, I always go back to the Iliad, where Aeneas is a pretty great guy. He seems to really just want to help his family, Hector, Troy itself. He's a chill dude who gets helped out by his mom when things aren't looking great. And then, hundreds, nearly a thousand years later, the Romans co-opt him to be exactly what they need, no matter whose story gets decimated in the process. Anyway, here's the next episode of the Aeneid, where Aeneas shows his true colors. Because 
Where we left Dido and Aeneas, the love spell placed upon Dido was ruining her, breaking her spirit and changing her personality for the worse. She isn't herself. Still, she and Aeneas had slept together in the cave during the storm, something that links them, made them sort of unofficially married. But Aeneas has been convinced that his place isn't there in Carthage with Dido, that he needs to move on and continue the quest he's set out to do. Which, I mean, fine, this isn't a bad thing, I get it. You've got a quest, you want to complete it, but guess what, Aeneas? There's a better way to handle the dilemma you got yourself into. Instead, he plans to be an absolute asshole coward and simply sneak away in the night. This is episode 91, No Earthly Ships, The Tragedy of the Aeneid's Dido. Aeneas calls together some of his men to prepare the ships to leave in the night, to leave in secret. He calls on Menestheus and Serestus, asking them to prepare quietly, again, in secret, not letting anyone know their plan. But even under the spell of Venus, Dido can tell something is off. Aeneas is being sweet to her, but it's too sweet. He's hiding something and she can tell. Then she hears rumor that the ships are being prepared, though she's heard nothing of a plan. This combined with the love spell of Venus and Cupid and further takes hold of Dido's mind and her mental stability. The love spell not only takes over her emotions, but her mind as a whole. Now, suspecting something of Aeneas, that he's intending to leave in secret, she begins to lose hold of her own reality completely. She is simply not herself. Dido races through Carthage in a panic, described as being like a bacchant, with shrieks that reach Venus herself. Dido finds Aeneas and begins to accuse him of exactly what he's doing. Dido screams at Aeneas, calling him a traitor for binding himself to her in the way he did, only to sneak off in the night like a coward, unable to admit what he's doing. She asks him if it's really all worth it, leaving now, in the middle of the winter where all he'll encounter is storms or wintry winds, just to reach this strange place on strange land. Is all of that really worth this cost? She asks him. Is it worth your Dido's death? She asks, invoking the connection they've made even more directly. To Dido, they are married. She says as much in her accusations to Aeneas for his plans, calling theirs a union, a marriage, something they've embarked on together. It's clear that Hera's plan to have their night together be deemed a marriage has worked. Is this what she had in mind, though? She loves Carthage and knew Aeneas would only cause its destruction, so it's tough to say what either of those goddesses really intended in their meddling with Dido and Aeneas. Dido continues to rage at Aeneas, asking him to reconsider, to stay. She points out that because of him, because she's been with him and housed him, those she might have considered to be allies in the region prior are no longer allies. She tells Aeneas that with him gone, her brother in Tyr, Phoenicia, will come for her and for Carthage, that those surrounding Carthage in northern Africa will also try to take her out. You've absolutely ruined me, Dido tells Aeneas. Quote, my guest leaves me here to die. Now I must call you guest instead of husband. We're to believe here that Aeneas is torn in his decision, that he doesn't truly want to leave Dido, that maybe even he loves her nearly as much as she loves him. 
We're told he struggles to keep his feelings in check as he reminds himself of Jupiter's orders, that he is to continue on no matter his feelings, that he is to leave Dido in Carthage. Finally, he responds to her. Tell me whatever you want, he tells her. I couldn't deny you anything. Aeneas tells Dido that he'll remember her, that he'll regret his leaving her for as long as he has memory, as long as he's alive. He says all this, pulling at her heartstrings and ours as the reader. Perhaps Aeneas isn't so heartless after all. Maybe he really loves Dido, and this is so, so hard for him. Maybe we like Aeneas? Then he cuts into his own proclamations of regret for what he's about to do. Just a little point of clarification, he says, after telling her how he feels. I hadn't really meant to sneak away, he claims. And as for calling me your husband, he continues, I never made any promise of marriage to you, he says. Never made that commitment. It was just sex, is essentially what he's trying to convey to Dido. If I could control what happened to me, he goes on, I never would have left Troy. I never would have left my wife. Troy would have never fallen, or I would have stayed there to restore it to its full glory, to what it was before the Greeks ever arrived. You're from Phoenicia, he says to Dido, yet you've made your towers here in Libya. How can you not understand us Trojans wanting to do the same? It's not that he doesn't have a point. It's simply that all these messes are caused by the gods, and the only real victim is a strong woman, a queen. Anyway, fuck you, Aeneas, even if you have some valid thoughts and opinions. He continues on making his pleas that he must travel to Italy to found his city, that it's what Jupiter himself wants, and who was Aeneas to go against Jupiter's wishes. He talks and talks and talks at Dido about why he simply must leave her. But Dido, well, even in her current state, in her love-struck, goddess-compelled obsession with Aeneas, even in that state, she's a badass. Dido continues to yell at Aeneas, taking none of his shit and believing little of the garbage he's spewing at her in an attempt to make himself seem less horrible for sneaking off in the night after having had sex with the queen, having professed a kind of affection if not a full-blown love for her. Why are you even bothering to lie? She accuses him. Quote, Was there a sigh for tears of mine? A glance? Did he give in to tears himself or pity? She tells Aeneas that it's not possible he was even a goddess's son, that he must have been born and raised by tigers for all the pity and emotion he's showing now. Injustice, she says, is something of a concern to Hera and Jupiter, and that's all you're committing here, she says to him. I helped a shipwrecked man, she says. I shared my palace and my food and everything I could offer, all to help these refugee Trojans. Quote, I saved your friends from death. Then her demeanor turns. She's done fighting with him. I won't force you to stay with me, she says. I won't try to contradict what you've claimed here. Sail off, then, in these wintry winds and storms in search of Italian kingdoms. I hope you're dashed upon the rocks, calling out my name. When death pulls my soul from my earthly body, I will haunt you, she tells him. Even when I'm among the dead, I'll know your fate when you're finally forced to pay for what you've done. And with that... She spins away from him and runs from the room, leaving Aeneas alone with his own conscience. Dido runs back to her bedroom where her servants are waiting to bundle her into bed to sleep off her pain and grief. Aeneas, meanwhile, continues on with his plan. We're told he's lovesick, and you can believe that if you want to. 
The love story of Dido and Aeneas has become one of those tragic stories where to believe was truly based in love, Romeo and Juliet style. Based on a reading of the Aeneid, though, I, for one, am not convinced. Aeneas continues his plan, pulling together all the Trojans he'd brought with him, all that had landed on Carthage, and taking advantage of their gracious host, Dido. All the Trojans that had feasted with the Carthaginians, that had been treated as beloved and gracious guests. Together, the Trojans work to ready the ship, bringing supplies they needed and putting everything in working order like a sea of well-trained ants. While our narrator wonders, quote, What did you feel then, Dido, when you saw? How did you sob when all that shoreline seethed? And Dido did watch from her tower. She watched as they prepared to leave her behind. These people she'd treated so well, had taken in as though they too were Carthaginians. She watches as Aeneas leads the call to leave. And as she does, the love spell placed upon her by Aeneas' own mother and half-brother works its horrifying magic. Her grief swells and balloons as she watches, every one of her emotions becoming more violent and painful the further the Trojans get in their preparations. Dido speaks with her sister as she watches, before asking Anna a favor. Go to Aeneas, that traitor, she asks her, and speak with him. He trusts you, you were his friend, she tells Anna. I wasn't there when the Greeks made their vow to destroy Troy, when they set out from Aulis those many, many years ago. I never harmed his people as they did, she says. Dido asks Anna to plead for her. She tells Anna to tell Aeneas that Dido isn't asking him to adhere to the commitment of marriage he made her. She isn't asking him to stay there in Carthage forever. He can travel to Latium and found his city, she says. She's only asking for a bit more time. Time to wrap her head around what's happening. Time to mourn and come to terms with it. She's only asking for time, she tells Anna, and to ask Aeneas for a loan of time and an interest she'll pledge her own life. Anna, with tears to match her beloved sisters, passes this message on to Aeneas exactly. But he can't be moved. He isn't moved. Lovesick indeed. Again, we're told to believe that Aeneas is troubled by this decision, but that it's his fate that is more important than anything. That he believes he will only found this city in Latium if he leaves right now. That Jupiter won't allow it otherwise. This... Aeneas's supposed emotions and distress for what he's doing, but doing it anyway, is more about emphasizing the strength, bravery, and most of all, patriotism of the Roman people. That's what Augustus is trying to convey through Virgil here. Country above all else. It's about making the Romans look good. It's about making the Romans believe that they are the best of the best, that they are the leaders of the free world. No, wait. That's a different delusional republic. Dido, meanwhile, is driven entirely mad in her grief, her love spell inflicted grief. Grief that isn't her own, madness that isn't her own. She begs for death, prays for death. It seems now everything is against her, that she's an abomination. Her gifts on altars rot. When she pours wine at her altar, it turns to bloody sludge as soon as it hits the basin. A sign, she thinks, but she tells no one, not even her sister Anna. She has a shrine to Aeneas, where only she can go, no one else knows it's there. And there she continues to think of him, to grieve over him. She thinks she hears his voice, smells his smell, feels him there. When she finally sleeps, 
She's haunted by her dreams, her nightmares. She dreams of Aeneas. She dreams of being chased by monsters. She dreams of furies, of a fate like that of Pentheus, or of Orestes when he killed his mother. She dreams of being punished. But for what? With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When Dido wakes, she's struck by an idea that she tells Anna. Suddenly, she says she knows of a solution, something to change Aeneas's mind or to alleviate her own. Either way, it's a solution, she determines. She tells Anna that she has seen a place on the very edges of Oceanus where the sun itself sets in Ethiopia. This, she says, is where the Garden of the Hesperides lies, and there a woman, a Massilian priestess, whose spells and potions have all sorts of abilities, they can soothe the mind or cause horrible distress. This priestess's potions can do anything, she says to Anna. But, she stops, I would never choose such a solution. Instead, she asks Anna to build her a pyre in secret in the courtyard. She says that this priestess has instructed her on how to rid herself of Aeneas. That they will burn everything Aeneas left behind. That they will burn everything off her bed, everything they touched when they were together. Anna is concerned for her sister, but she does it. What could be worse than when her first beloved husband, Sicaeus, died? She thinks certainly Dido can't be more distraught than then. She's worried for her sister, but Anna doesn't imagine what Dido is actually planning. When the pyre is built, Dido decorates it for an elaborate funeral. 
On the bed, the pyre, she has a picture of Aeneas alongside weapons he left behind and whatever clothes were still in her bedroom after he'd left it. It was prepared. God's names were shouted, including Hecate herself. Drops of the river Avernus dripped upon the bed. Herbs were cut with a bronze knife and oozed black poison. Dido stood upon the altar, robes loose around her, wearing only a single sandal. She calls upon the gods, calling stars as her witnesses. She prays to whoever might listen, whoever punishes the broken bonds of love and sex. Night has fallen, and everyone in Carthage but Dido is sleeping soundly. The city has gone quiet, but she rages in her bedroom atop her newly built altar, the madness of Venus's love spell having fully and completely taken hold of her psyche. She considers what she can do now that he's leaving. Could she return to where she came from? No, that simply isn't an option. Dido considers whether she might be able to just follow the Trojans on their journey, even maybe with some of her Carthaginians. But no, that isn't an option either. It's the madness of the love spell speaking through her. Even she can see that she simply can't follow them and expect to live a happy life. The spell inflicted upon her by Venus convinces Dido that the only option for her future is no future at all. A heartbreaking conclusion to come to, and one that certainly wasn't easy. She is the queen of Carthage. She isn't in the same position as, say, Medea, whose entire existence was taken away when Jason left her alone and penniless. Medea was a foreigner, an outcast. Dido's future could survive what Aeneas has done, but the damage that has been done to her, as a person, through Venus and Aeneas, isn't something that can be overcome. Dido's distress goes so far as to blame herself for all of it, because she broke her promise to her dead husband, Sichaeus. This woman has been torn apart by these Trojans who landed in her kingdom, seeking her help, and now she blames herself. Meanwhile, Aeneas is sleeping soundly on his ship, when Mercury arrives to speak with him once more. Again, this is not the Mercury of Greek mythology. He's there to push Aeneas to leave, right that very moment. There's a woman scheming, he tells Aeneas. She's raging and planning his doom, she tells him. He poisons Aeneas against Dido even further, putting so many nonsense ideas into his head about the damage she and the Carthaginians will cause if the Trojans are still there in the morning, about her madness and how she plans to use it against Aeneas. It's all horrific bullshit. Dido is only hurting herself. She is only after herself in this moment. Thoughts of Aeneas and how she might stop him, what she might do, have fallen from her mind entirely. Mercury tells Aeneas, quote, a woman is a changing and fitful thing. Aeneas listens to this poison from Mercury, this horrible, hateful Mercury of the Aeneid, and he immediately wakes the rest of the Trojans, rousing them from their sleep and insisting they leave that very moment. Aeneas and the Trojans set sail off from Carthage, even in the dead of winter, knowing full well they'll encounter some pretty horrific storms, some life or ship-threatening winds and waves— all for love of a country that doesn't exist yet. So, in the dead of night, the Trojans flee Carthage. They're quicker than anyone could imagine. In an instant, they're gone from the shores without a trace, while Dido watches from her window. Her madness rages while she, for brief moments, tries to rein it in. For a second, she considers whether the Carthaginians should just chase after the Trojans just as quickly as they've left, why they don't catch up to them and destroy their ships entirely. 
But no, she thinks again, realizing for a second that she's caught up in this love spell madness. Where is it taking me? She asks herself. I should have killed them all, she thinks. Should have burned their ships and destroyed the ashes from the very moment they arrived. Quote, Come, sun, the blazing lamp of all creation. Juno, the witness and the go-between, avenging furies and my own death demons. Turn heaven's justice where it should be turned. Dido begins to curse Aeneas. She prays, calling him a living curse, asking that should he arrive safely in Italy, if that's fated to happen, as he so desperately believes, then let a strong and fierce people meet him there, drive him from that new land, and take his own child from him. Let those people make him a suppliant. Let him witness the death of his friends. Let him not grow old and happy in his new kingdom. Let him die and be left to rot in the sand. Tyrians, she calls in her final prayer. Let there never be a friendship between us and the people he founds. Let there never be peace nor allyship between us. Let us be forever enemies. My curse is war with the Trojans in their new world in Italy, death to their children, and my ghost to haunt them. Virgil here is using Dido to demonize the real Carthaginians, the Carthaginians that were at war with Rome for so many years, the Carthaginians that the Romans absolutely destroyed when, in the end, they didn't need to. The Romans took out Carthage out of hatred because their politicians didn't want the city left standing, mainly Cato, because they'd had so many wars before, not because at that time Carthage was an actual real threat. By having Dido curse the Romans through Aeneas, this Augustan propaganda is once again taking the blame from the Romans and placing it on the Carthaginians and their mythical badass founding queen, a woman already ruined by Rome through this story, so why not make it worse? Having fully cursed Aeneas and the Roman people that he will go on to found in Latium, Dido is ready. She calls for her sister to be brought to her, but not before Anna has doused herself in river water. I'll now finish the ritual I started, setting this pyre ablaze to symbolize that Trojan's life. This is what she tells the woman who goes to get Anna, but it isn't her entire plan. Dido's left alone now as Anna is summoned. Her eyes are red from tears, her face is blotchy. She's tired and worn out from her grief but she gets a second win. In a frenzy, Dido runs towards the center of the room, toward the pyre she's prepared, the pyre that is set to burn only Aeneas's belongings, his image. She jumps up onto the pyre and she grabs the sword Aeneas had left behind, the one she'd set atop the pyre to symbolize the man himself. She looks around at her bed, her bedroom, the clothes left behind by Aeneas, the altar she's created, the one she's meant to burn. She remains there a while, taking everything in, before saying her last words, the first of which are, quote, Sweet spoils, while fate and God still kept you sweet, receive my breath and free me from this pain. She goes on, speaking of how she lived and how she'll die, sending the underworld a good and noble spirit. She speaks of Carthage, the city she founded. She speaks of how she got to see its towers, that she avenged her husband and punished her brother in doing so. Dido thinks about how happy she'd be, if the Trojans had never landed on her shores, but that even though they did, now she dies without revenge in her heart. Quote, Let the cruel Trojans' eyes take in these flames. The omen of my death will go with him. With that, Dido falls upon Aeneas's sword, the last words falling from her mouth as the blood begins to trickle down her side. 
Her maids watch this happen, and their shouts echo through the palace. The pain of Carthage and its people ripples across the sky, pain as horrible as if the Carthaginians were being sacked in some vicious war. It's now that Anna arrives. She's heard her sister's cries and bursts into the room to find her fallen on the sword atop the pyre she built for Aeneas. Anna is angry with Dido, angry that she's been deceived, but angrier that Dido hadn't allowed her to follow. She would have much rather fallen on the same sword as her beloved sister. Anna runs to her, holding Dido in her arms. There's still life left in her when Anna gets there. But Juno cuts it short, not allowing either Dido or Anna's suffering to continue. She has the messenger goddess Iris bring Dido's spirit safely and gently to the underworld. A gift for Dis, Pluto, Hades, the god of the underworld. Well, that was dark and sad and horrible, and I didn't realize quite how dark and sad and horrible it would be until I got pretty deep into writing it. Ugh, oh, Dido. But to lighten things just a little bit, I have a little gem to share with you all. Now, I know most of my listeners are slightly younger than me, but enough of you must be old enough to know about Dido, right? Not Aeneas's Dido, but the 90s, early 2000s queen Dido. If you don't, you should. The feels, you guys. Dido has a song called My Lover's Gone, it's where today's episode gets its title. The last Aeneas episode was a title lyric too, but this one? This song goes, My lover's gone, his boots no longer by my door. He left at dawn, and as I slept I felt him go. I will not watch the ocean. No earthly ships will ever bring him home again. Ugh, this Dido. She clearly wrote a song about Aeneas because her name is Dido, and I love it so much. It shouldn't be lost on anyone that the ancient Dido's tragic story is inherently linked to her being a woman ruling a powerful city. Not only that, but Carthage was historically, like I've said, one of Rome's biggest enemies. And so having their founding queen, a woman, die out of love for the founding father of Rome is telling and gross. The Romans, via the Aeneid and all the other Augustan propaganda taking place at the time, sought to make Carthage out to be less than they were and to make Rome out to be inherently, historically, superior. They set out to make Rome untouchably the best, the absolute pinnacle of society. And in order to do that, they had a woman who was powerful and badass enough to found a city like Carthage die because she loved a man who didn't love her back, or love her enough, at least. It's just supremely gross. Just a mess, honestly. Dido was a fucking badass, and I don't really believe her story would have ended that way if it were told in another mythology, gross as they can be too. No, Dido ended like she did because of Rome's view of themselves more than anything else. Now, it's pretty hard to find information about Dido's fate from before Augustus or before the myth of Aeneas took hold. She's talked about before then, but her death is tougher to determine. So if I'm 100% wrong in this claim and Dido died for love of Aeneas long, long before Virgil wrote about it, she didn't. Please let me know. Or honestly, if you have any sources about Dido outside of the Aeneid or before, before the Aeneid, I should say, please send them my way. Anyway, women in mythology, am I right? Thank you all for listening. I just wanted to also mention to you patron listeners, I have a number of special pieces of Patreon content coming. Discussions about mythological-esque movies with the beautiful ladies of ancient history fangirl. Drunken myth storytelling with the same. Of course, also, like I mentioned last week, I will be a full-time podcaster as of October. So there will be more Patreon content coming then. 
I'm sorry I haven't been more active there, but frankly, there aren't enough hours in the day. But I'm so grateful for my Patreon patrons who realize that they're helping the free show by being patrons and that getting bonus content is just that, bonus. Because man, this whole jam is a lot of work. But oh my god, I got to quit my job, so my life will be a bit of a relief soon. Thank you all for everything, for listening and contributing if you do, but if you don't and you just listen and write reviews and the like, I know that I love you just as much. Thank you for not complaining about ads. It's how I will be able to do this for you and not lose my mind. I won't lie. I'm really struggling to keep going without any time to myself lately, so October can't come soon enough. You're all the best. Man, this is a fun job. I am live and I love this shit. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.